BetMGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at BetMGM. Simply download the BetMGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Over, Chris. Back at it again. We are back at it again. The uh, We just had this discussion off camera. Yep. Actually, it was on camera, but we're going to delete it out. Okay. <laughs> season four. We, know we do know much. it's season four. We have no idea what episode we're on. Yeah, I was trying to keep up on it's that. It's like five or six, maybe? I'm thinking five, but it depends on if you count that live. Is that episode one or not? Well, then there's another one I recorded last year that we may or may not post. So did, okay. that, did that one make it or did that one not make it? I have no idea. Because this one's probably going to come out around Christmas. All right. So, All anyways. Right. Yeah. Hopefully, uh, <laughs> it's going to be funny to say this. Hopefully, we didn't make nobody mad on the last one. Yeah, I was going to say, we recorded the last one like 10 minutes ago, which yeah. means you're still not done with Harvest, but hopefully by the time this comes hopefully, out. <laughs> oh, I hope so. <laughs> you were, uh, if I'm not done harvesting time, this comes out at Christmas, I'm going to be in a bad mood. What's really funny is I just uh, hauled some rock into a field approach for you. What was that, Friday? Friday, yep. That video will probably come out in February. They're going to want to know why you're still harvesting corn in February. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a, well, the old history channel over here on the other one. <sighs> We've explained that, Chris. We know why it works out so well. <laughs> Being the history channel. Yeah, so. it does work. No, I can't get can't well, take uh, over from you. <clears throat> you want to talk about farming a little bit? Because that's going to lead into what we're going to talk about today. Um. Well, farming's uh, farming's farming. It's we're wide open yet. So, so what is just your uh, so for people that don't know, you do a whole lot more than just plant stuff and harvest stuff because you're in, you're involved on the uh, legislature side. Why can I not talk legislative side also as well? Yes. So yes, we're uh, white corn, yep, yellow corn, soybeans, wheat, hay. Um, every once in a while, we throw in Milo or grain sorghum, they call them. So it's just... Um, so let, there you got a huge diversification and Right, and I think that's where we're going to go with this episode, is talk about the uh, importance of diversifying and not putting all your yeah. eggs in one basket. So let's back up and talk about just grain in general a little yep. bit. So like this year, this year was probably a slightly above average year. Oh, yeah, above, way for us in... <clears throat> In this pocket at Perry County, we're way above average. Um, so what's your predictions for the next five years? Is it 100% weather dependent or? Oh, yeah. Well, no, it's not 100% weather dependent. It's, it's going to be who's going to be our president after next November. This is not a political podcast. Okay. So there is farming is wide and a loose cannon. You yeah. know, it's. You got political, you got interest rates, 
you guys you've got mother nature you guys as farmers have way more uncontrollable inputs agree than i do as a contractor i agree with that yeah because you can't single-handedly control politics you single-handedly can't control mother nature mother nature um you single-handedly can't control equipment breakdowns correct um i mean i guess we could go yeah you can you keep going deeper into that so on and on and on and on and on about that so but but some ways to offset some of that is diversification for us right so there's so i guess there's there's multiple different ways and one is diversifying which is probably my would be my vote uh, there are some farmers that just strictly grain farm, right? They're just strictly grain farm. They are, uh, and I've known some of them. They're strictly yellow corn, soybeans, 50-50. Right. If it's corn this year, it's going to be beans next year. If it's beans this year, it's going to be corn next year. And they stick to the program. Stick to the program, no matter what it is. Just as soon as the combine gets parked, you'd be surprised how many of them is on a plane within a week headed to Florida for the winter. Right. And they will show up next spring to start working on a crop. So not saying those guys don't make a good money, but don't oh. you think they're they're limiting themselves the way they are to, limiting themselves to they're limiting two commodities. They're limiting their risk. Limiting their risk. But they're also limiting their potential income. Limiting their upside too. Limiting their upside too. Yep. Uh, and what those guys do, uh, I know a few of them as well, is if they have a really good year. They know they're going to have a bad year. Yeah. They'll take X amount, set it back. Yep. And, and, and wait for the bad years. Wait for the bad year. Hopefully they have enough set back to get them through the year. And then, yep. Because um, it seems like farming's like a lot of industries. It's a... It's got a curve. It's a roller coaster. Yeah, you know, the coaster. grain prices and, and the profits and the inputs, you know, you climb for a while. You guys kind of hit a peak and then it just seems like it, it crashes. Crash. Yeah. And then... Hopefully it don't crash, and the next year you have a drought, and the next year you have a war, because yeah. then you're... Uh, yeah, you start putting two or three bad years <clears throat> together. Um, it, can get, it can get ugly real quick. Because I don't um, think what a lot of people don't realize is, in the springtime, um, the days of the small farmer are probably... They, there's not very many small farmers right, out there so, anymore. Um, would you say farms that farm less than a thousand acres is pretty hard to come by? There's a few out there, but there's not many. Right. Not what there used to be. You know, for years, every farm, every every farmer out there had two or three hundred acres and made a good living. Yeah. If you ain't now, you know somebody's going to say, "Well, they make a living on it," you know. But yeah. if you ain't thousand acres plus and a thousand acres, probably a small farm today. Right. Um, so with that being said, even at a thousand acres or, or something, you guys, most of you guys are planting millions of dollars worth of stuff in the ground between fertilizer, herbicides, seed, fuel, equipment, equipment. You literally have millions of dollars invested to plant a crop. Yep. For sure. To sit back and twiddle your thumbs and it's a lot of money to bury in the dirt (laughs) and watch and pray that, uh, that you can find it this fall on the row crop side. So I think, obviously, we talked about it a little bit, but one way to offset the risk is diversifying. Yes. Now, we can get into this a little bit more, but there's obviously pros and cons to diversifying. But that's the route you guys kind of went with your farm is... Maybe diversification, it does not... You struggle. 
to do the best at one thing. Right. Um, but if you can do good at all of them, timing, because so many of the crops takes need something done at the same time. You know, time management there again is a, is a struggle sometimes. Schedule management. And um, our operation is running limited manpower just to save on some overhead costs there. So. Right. So you guys diversified a lot of different ways. One, you're diversified between uh, beans and corn. Yes. And then you guys also sell hay and straw. We do have uh, hay we sell. Lots of straw off the after after we harvest wheat, wheat. you know, we bale straw. And then we get into the livestock side also. So right, we run uh, brood cows. Uh, currently selling the feeder calves off them at weaning. Uh, we have been into the fat cattle market, fatting our calves out. We have bought feeder calves and fattened out. And then we also get to uh, contract hog barns um, that we raise hogs for. So that's guaranteed money there pretty well. You know, that's that's right. the that's the saving grace on the hogs is it's it's a contract. So we're not a right. So you, it's we're a, not it's, the mercy on that one. It's a budget number. It's a budget number. Yep. So everything else, everything else with the uh, I mean the exception of the straw and the hay, which is definitely income, but it's a small percentage in yeah. the in the books. But uh, the grain and the cattle are the two big ones, right? The grain's the biggest, yeah. But yeah. both of those are highly dependent on markets, right? Markets, yeah. Yeah, even the cattle's on the market. You're you're trying to play the high and the low and get them at the right size at the right time and right. move your breeding, try to move your breeding schedule for the cattle. And, you know, the marketing of the grain, I've lost hours of sleep trying to market grain. And three years ago, we hired a uh, broker to do that for us. So... I've got a little bit diversed in this over the last 10 years, but can we give everybody a dumbed down version of grain marketing and contracts and futures? And is there, is there a, is there a grain marketing for dummies speech in there somewhere? I don't know <laughs> because it took me 44 years to figure it out. So uh, there's, there's, so one way to sell grain is you just hold it to market and get market price. Yes, we can hold it to market and get what we call a cash bid or a cash price. So basically you take it out of the field, you haul it straight down to the elevator. Straight to the elevator, dump they it. They weigh it, they may dock, it. may dock you on moisture or a few other things. May moisture, damage, or foreign material, whatever. But uh, basically that number is based on what grain trades just like a stock. Yes. Uh, and it not used to always be like that, but so, I don't know, there was a certain 15 years ago, grain went to the open, open trade market. So you got the Chicago Board of Trade. So it trades just like any other stock market. Now, will it change hourly, daily? Every few seconds. So you can haul one load of grain down there, and then an hour later you can haul a different load of grain down there and get a different price different for it. Different price for it, yeah. No, I don't usually jump drastically yep. in that time frame but uh depends on what news has hit the market you know i've seen some grain move soybeans move a dollar twenty dollar thirty in a day's time frame and if you're up or down yeah i mean you got so a dollar thirty dollar dollar thirty don't sound like a whole lot nope but what these people have to realize you're hauling hundreds of thousands of bushels yes 
Yes. So you take a dollar thirty by a hundred thousand. Yes. That's a lot of money. It's one hundred thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, one uh, twenty-four hours can cost you a hundred thousand dollars easy in a marketing scheme. That's crazy. Not, so not pay some bills. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so another common way to sell grain is on contracts. Yes, and there's several different contracts you can do. So, um, so the Chicago Board of Trades, that's what we call the futures. And that's what the market's going by. So you can contract futures. Now your elevator has what they call a basis. So that's their cost of operation. Every elevator has a different basis for every commodity for every month. That basis does not fluctuate as fast as the futures because that's elevator specific. Gotcha. So your cash price is your futures and basis married together. Get your cash price. So, you know, if corn at the futures is sitting 450 and your basis is negative 25 cents, your cash price is 425. So, I mean, it's all just playing games is what it is. It's, it's legalized gambling. <clears throat> so, what a lot of guys do to kind of help you guys budget a little bit is like, let's say, uh, and I'm, I know this is a way stripped down yeah. version of this, but you'll agree to sell 40,000 bushel of grain in December for this price. Yes. So you basically buy, what's that, that's called contracting grain, right? We can contract the cash price. We can contract a basis or we can contract just the future future so basically if but you we can write some type of contract so basically if you contract a base price you're locking in your price yes you know what Cash you're going to get paid yep. for we know what we're going to get whether it goes up or down or down you're getting paid for yep now if you contract futures you promise that elevator yep i'm going to bring you this amount of grain and yep. you're going to pay me whatever it is at the time yes um so <laughs> I'm sure you've won on that, and I'm sure you've lost on that. We've won big on some of them, and we've lost big on some of them for sure. Yeah. So is that all? Does um, you know the the scheme is many. You know, if we're selling four hundred and fifty thousand bushel of white corn, that is sold over a matter of forty contracts. So I never write over like a ten thousand bushel contract. And I don't want all 40 contracts to be at the high. Right. It'd be nice if they were. Right. But at the end of the game, if they average out as a decent price, I win. Right. You're going to have some good ones. You're going to have some bad ones. So do you like contracting more on basis if you feel like it's good? Or do you, or do you play the futures trying to hit the lottery? We've done it both ways. We've done it both ways. We've got creative. There is all kinds of contracts you can imagine out there. So, so do you get a penalty if you don't deliver your grain? Your it depends on which way the market is at the time of delivery. So, so if the elevator's on the if the market, if the cash bid is higher than your contract at the time of delivery, yeah, you got to pay. The ultimate goal with these contracts is to help the elevator schedule how much grain's coming in it helps them schedule it helps you try to out get the market well you can kind of budget a little budget. bit if you, you know budget. you have numbers yeah. you need to hit yep uh we may be getting off topic here but i mean this is also within the grain you diversify how you sell the grain i guess yes. is where i'm going yep. with all that and we don't deal with one elevator i mean we deal with 
you know, we dumped at seven different elevators before. I don't so. know if they can hear it outside Farmer Chris. We're in the middle of a monsoon out there. I ain't gonna be showing corn tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's uh their perfect tongue and recovery might be in business. No, hope not. No, hope not. If you go to start shelling corn tomorrow. But. So uh, yeah, we we just think diversification. We stay it for sure keeps us busy. Well, around. the other the other thing is is there's a such thing as a harvest market too, which is usually uh, down a little bit versus. Yeah, you're. Well, I've seen the harvest market come back up. I mean, it just depends on what's what kind of order the China put in. Right. You know, uh, USDA puts out monthly um, demand and stock reports. And, you know, if they get bearish or bullish, you know, push the grain up or down pretty quick. Well, the flip so. side of that is it'll start affecting prices is like right now the Mississippi River's low. Yes. They're sending barges down 40% loaded. 40%. So that's why you're seeing such large negative basis in the area right now. Right. Because, and that's, because so the freight that's, prices that's, went up. that's killing us here because all of our friends exported on the river. Uh, 90% of our grain is, is river export. Now you go, I'm just going to use this for an example, over around Ohio somewhere, northern Ohio, where a lot of this corn is going to an ethanol plant. They might be paying a positive because they're, they're needing corn, right? Yes. And, um, and the flip of that is our fertilizer comes up out of New Orleans. Um, Which, if the river is right, it's a huge advantage. It's a huge advantage. But I just heard the other day at a meeting that they just book a bunch of fertilizers to be delivered by rail. Really? That's the first time because the rail's cheaper than the barge right now. Which is very unusual. Unusual because of the river situation. Yeah, people don't understand our area right here a little yeah. bit. You know, well, I'm gonna get way off subject right here. Yeah, we are. <laughs> but it's still diver diversification it because we got truck, yeah. rail, and we got the four well, we got sure. the river here. Um, we take that river for granted. Yes. Uh, you know, uh, there's only two major rivers in the United States, the Ohio and Mississippi. There's a lot of other rivers, but yeah. they don't they don't transport goods on any other river like they do the Ohio Not and the Mississippi. Not the size of they push here. Yeah, yeah, it's a whole different ball game. Um, but uh, where was I going? I was going way off subject with this. I lost my train of thought. Completely lost. Taking the river for granted. Taking the river for granted, yeah. Well, oh, I really got I had, you. I had some, <laughs> you had something good, had something didn't you? Good going there. Uh, I done <laughs> forgot what it was. That's sign of old age, there. Oh yeah, <laughs> this is where I was going with this. So I've, we've lived on the river our whole lives. Yes, I've literally lived like on the river my whole life. Um, I got a good friend of mine that graduated with me. That's a pilot on the uh, Mississippi River. I don't remember the Mississippi River water levels ever being an issue. I never, except for the last two years, back to back. Yeah. Now. For you guys that are familiar with the river, the Ohio is not low. No. Uh, the Corps of Engineers in the 70s built a series of dams. Everybody thinks the dams are for flood control. They are not for flood control. They are for navigation. Navigation. So basically, uh, on the Ohio River, we hold pools. So I think there's 12 main pools up the Ohio. Uh, we're on the uh, Newburgh Pool. Actually, we're on the Counting Count Pool. Counting Pool. Tell City's on the Newburgh Pool. There's a dam right here, low, close. but. The Mississippi River has dams from St. Louis up. The Upper Mississippi. The Upper Mississippi. So there's no issues on the Upper Mississippi. The Upper Mississippi is good to go. The thought process has always been from the Mississippi down because the Ohio River comes into the Mississippi River below St. Louis. From the Mississippi down, 
there's nothing to control water levels and they never thought it was going to be an issue. They never thought it would be an issue, yeah. It's just open game. But um, So now, for some reason, the last two years with... Um, Historic low river. Yeah, it's, it's, become, it's become an issue. They're still getting the barges up and down, but they can't draft. The, the more you load a barge, the lower it goes into the water. And the water is not there for to draft. Yeah, they're so. dragging bottoms. So. Um, I mean, I think they are trying to... Uh, dredge it dredge it but you know they're, they're limited to what they can do well and then uh they the more they dredge the narrower the channel gets yep. and it, it, it just keeps making all kinds of other you know or here on the ohio we're seeing uh 15 barge toes yeah three wide five long which will fit through our dams which will fit through our locks yeah and you know you get on that lower mississippi where they don't have no, there's 30 45 barges yeah they're pushing 40 50 barges i think on some of them yeah. so they're running five six wide and while that that's, takes a big channel to go down yeah why that's a big deal is is the huge advantage of the river to us is we can get stuff from the port of new orleans up here in large bulk quantities large bulk. and then disperse it out and we can ship things out as far yep. as grain yep. in large bulk bulk but, bulk, end up bulk quantities um so even though it's our water level is perfectly mm -hmm. fine everybody always asks me on the internet well mississippi's level what's it like at your house it's we're, we're fine we're holding back what we need to so yeah we keep we keep what we need held up here maybe that's why they're low down there we yeah. got our water. We're held back too much <laughs> but you know that ohio that ohio and mississippi fluctuates our local grain market a bunch yeah because of shipping cost now you get into northern illinois iowa nebraska dakotas ethanol plants yeah eats up and they're all every corner yeah and they run a very they run a positive basis up there a lot of times yeah and just because they need uh, the uh the corn and they're uh and what they do exports on rail yeah they do export on the rail now the only thing that may bite them is they may export to a river port yeah but a lot of the uh north dakota south dakota soybeans export on rail towards seattle washington oh gotcha so they, they go hit, straight to the ocean yeah they could go over there and hit a well a thanks to the global warming it's on the rise it's on the rise <laughs> over there yeah yeah uh, well if the ocean's coming up why ain't the mississippi river coming up i got a damn stop oh, okay. going you just see i mean stop trying to make sense mm -hmm. of this chris it's just not gonna make yeah. sense it uh <laughs> so now we we are uh Definitely in this area, there is several grain-only farmers in this area. Right. But there are several grain-slash-livestock farmers right. also. So, so the, the swine industry is small. The turkey and chicken industry is probably one of the largest livestock in this area. Yes. Yeah, so basically what you guys are trying to do through diversifying how you sell your grain. Yep diversifying what incomes you have on the farm um is trying to limit your risk uh yes yeah is what it is what it what it ultimately comes down to right? trying to limit the the loss yeah if or if we yeah. have a loss yeah so because you got all your eggs in one basket and that one commodity takes a hit which i don't remember this time i'm sure you can explain it better that kind of happened with the the hog industry uh, yeah hogs is hogs is brutal yeah they can uh multiply so quick and uh the hogs is up and down quite a bit so this uh proposition 12 is going to be interesting when it 
comes in full swing next year. What the hog market's gonna do? Is that where they're uh, requiring so much space for each? Well, for a breeding livestock, they are increasing the square footage that animal needs. So some of these farms needs what they say twice as much space. So they need twice as many barns, or what barns they've got, they've got to cut their animals in half. So basically, long story short, bacon's gonna cost us twice as much. It very well can. That's gonna help inflation. Oh yeah, yeah, that'll help. At least we'll have happy pigs. California needs it though, <laughs> happy pigs. <laughs> I, uh, we can get way off in the weeds I here. I think we need to send all muddy feet to wild pigs, such a California. I'm gonna get way off in the weeds here, but I don't think some people realize the consequences of their decisions. No. You know, I've got uh, breeding females in our barn, but it don't matter if they're breeding or not, any pigs. You know, we're set up on 12 square feet per pig and we got them in that pen. And if I walk in there in the morning to check on them, they are all laying side by side on top of each other in the back of the pen or wherever they only use a third of that pen. Yeah. Why do we need to add more space for them? Because the people making the rules never walk through those pens. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they probably watch some random YouTube video. Oh, yeah. Yeah, these damn YouTube creators. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> random YouTube video of some pig fight. Yeah, you know? I know. Yeah. And uh, it's, uh, I don't, uh, I don't know. Uh, so... How does uh, dirt work get diversified? I'm not done with you. You're not I'm gonna hit you with a question you probably didn't see coming. So what are your most limiting resources is land. <laughs> how much land you got? So how, like what's the, I've always been curious of this a little bit, but I never asked. So what's the, raising cattle takes a lot of land. Yes, it does. Uh, which could be farmed. Some of it could. Some of it could be yes. farmed. So the farmable land, is it as profitable to raise cattle on or is it just a diversification strategy? Because you also have land you rent for hay, which I understand hay can be grown in some places that yeah. crops can't, but. Um, all of our, like all of our hay ground, we keep on highly rotable land, slope ground, hillside. Makes it interesting with round bells because you never know where we're going to end up at. <laughs> Usually they're all at the bottom to pick up. Well, it's the wrong one spot. Yeah. Uh, for us, our cattle are all on highly rotable land. Uh, we might have one or two fields that could be farmed at the pasture, but it's close to the handling facility. It does yeah, not yeah. make sense to, move to row crop fields close to handling facility, move cattle to another place that you got to build another facility for. So I've got all my cattle centrally located for us. That they're all- Which is on ground you guys own. You which is on ground we own. Yeah. Right. And most of that ground is fairly steep, but there is two farms there that has had row crops in them. Um, they are washed. They might be dirt perfect projects. Here in the next I was going to say, I've, I've manicured some damn mountainside yeah. your farm. Yeah. So I wouldn't put in So, there. But you know, the nationwide, we're at the lowest herd number on cattle we've ever been. Uh, as far as like the entire nation? The entire nation. Our cattle are down. 
Really? Um, but a lot of that's due to the drought in the Midwest or in the Western state, Great Plains. You know, they've sold a lot of cattle, so. Right. Um, but cattle's an interesting thing, but they're, they're staying competitive. People like the taste of beef. People like good beef. The U.S. just don't like good beef. You know, our good prime stuff goes to Japan and our great USDA imports uh, South America ground beef for us to eat up here. So. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. I did read a, hear an interesting fact. You know, and then here's the other thing is, you know, going back to the pigs and all this other stuff. We're probably not even eating those pigs coming out of them houses. There's some imported. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, so what we're actually consuming is. Yep. Oh, we're, uh, yeah, we're getting off on the whole. I know. I know at one time or I mentioned on a podcast, a large portion of our ham was going to China. Yeah. Just because we didn't have the labor to process the yeah. hams, you know, so. There's a lot of other places in that that would be a lot more concerned to me and my health. I know. Than how much room that pig has. Um, interesting fact I heard on the way here that uh, Beyond Meat was founded in 2019. And the shares was $198 a share. Today the shares are $8 each. Really? And they are taking a hit. So the fad's over. The fad is dying. I know a few other fads that are dying pretty quick too. Yeah. And they involve lightning bolts. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, you know, but the Beyond Meat is more of a veggie burger. They're still working on these test tube meats yet, but yeah. people just, uh, people like to taste of good meat yet. So. I mean, we're animals at heart. I mean, we are yeah. animals, right? That's yep. what. Uh, we can say what we, we we may be domesticated, but we're still a damn animal. I don't. Yep. It, it is what it is. You um, know, uh, cattle processes grass into. Do you ever walk out and ask your cows how they identify? No, I don't. <laughs> no, just, just curious. No, nope. but, but my steak is plant based, though I do know that. It? Yeah, it's come through a processing plant. Oh, uh, so what's the? Uh, I mean, obviously the risk with the grain farming. Is the weather? You, the still, weather. Have, you yep. still have the risk of disease. Yep. Then you always got to fluctuate in markets. What's the risk of uh, the cattle? A drought will still affect them. Yeah, the drought because you need the grass to feed them. Feed them. So uh, the beauty of it is you can. We've got so many byproducts off of like the ethanol plants or the these uh, processing plants for the grain. We can feed. Feed. We can Supplement. chop silage, you know, to feed them. Uh, cattle's pretty reluctant, and uh, even in hogs in 2012, when we got to, uh, you know, we had a large drought here in the area. Yep. Corn got high. We was feeding uh, Chips Ahoy cookies, was getting the feed. Really? Uh, still today, we're feeding expired dog food. goes through the feed mill into the feed. We're just reutilizing other products. So I'm going to ask you another question here, and I... I don't know the economics of this, and obviously it makes sense because a lot of people do it. But I know how valuable corn is when it's harvested and shelled. <laughs> obviously, it's equally as valuable as silage. Oh, yeah. For feed. Yes. Which is... Yep. Because it's, it's not making the money, it's just saving the money at that point, right? It's saving the money, yeah. Uh, and for people who don't know, basically they, silage is they cut it's, down the plant. Silage is the whole plant. They chopped. cut down the whole plant while it's green. 
high moisture. High moisture. We put it in a uh, oxygen tight containment some way. Um, if it can't get oxygen, it's not gonna catch on fire. It ain't gonna rot, but it actually right. goes through a fermentation process. And then that's some of the best. That's some of the best feed there is for cattle. Feed you can give for cattle. Uh, <clears throat> mainly fat cattle guys, dairy operations use it. Um, there is a few cow calf operations that feeds a little silage. Silage. And most of that, farmers don't buy silage. They do it like they it's do an it in house. Own. Yeah, it's in an in house. house they, they will hire an outfit to chop it for them. Right. But it's their crop that they're off their limb and off their land. i guess there's limitations like you can't haul haul silage to market like you could oh no, no right it's no. got to go yep. chopped go somewhere close pretty close pack yeah. it in tarp yep. it down you know you can haul silage uh, a few miles um there's a product called ear leach they they've hauled several hundred miles so it's basically still a silage chopper with a regular corn head on it that they're picking just the ear off of it like a combine would. Really? But it's at the 40% moisture level. So they're, and they're just chopping just the ear only, but the plant stays on the ground. I thought the plant would have as much value to... The ear's got more value, but the uh, plant's high value too. Yeah. Not with the dairy at some, at some point, the plant's just a filler. Yes. To go with everything yeah. else, right? And that's why they was they was able to truck it a couple hundred miles because they was using a very high protein. Gotcha. And then then they would mix. And then it they the get mid. there, they they mix it with like straw or something as gotcha. a filler. Gotcha. That they had accessible. Their in the own area. special silage recipe. Mm-hmm. All right. So, um, we will probably look into chopping some silage here in the near future for our operation. Um, we're getting some fields that we're applying manure to that's getting high nutrient content and when you chop silage or take hay off of you you can take a lot of nutrients off the ground right there. because you don't have the um decomposite the residue returning residue, back to the ground yeah yep which which puts a lot of that stuff back in the yep, ground puts it back in the ground and ear of corn actually does not remove that much fertilizer off the ground the whole corn plant takes a bunch of phosphorus a bunch of potash to grow but then when you go through and shell just the grain, you're not removing that much fertilizer. It's not that much weight right. of the whole plant. And then the whole plant just decomposes right back in the ground. Your fertilizer's back in the cycle again. Right, returning. Return back. But so if you cut that for silage. If you cut for silage, just like cutting the hay. You ra you you're it. raiding ground. And when you get applying manure, too much manure, <coughs> you can't truck manure too far. So a lot of your silage fields are manure applied fields if you actually gotcha. pay attention to them. So that, because they're, they gotta go, they gotta, obviously if you got, if you need silage, you have a manure issue. You got a manure issue and you got the need to put the nutrients back on that right. the silage is put right, off. Right, 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 right. Yep. Fold, I fold. See, I learned something, Chris. Yeah. Fold the cycle. <laughs> Hay is the hardest crop on any field. Really? Yep. Or wheat and straw because you're moving all the residue. So what's the advantage of double crop in a field with straw and beans? Or wheat and beans. Well, if you a lot of people that double crops is just showing the wheat grain and planting beans, so you're getting two crops. But not everybody bells straw. So like, they're leaving the majority of they're the, leaving the majority which of the is the same as the um, the corn theory, I the guess. Corn, yep, the residue. The grain actually does not move a lot of residue or a lot of. Nutrients. But you cut yours all the way down for straw, though, right? We cut ours to the ground and remove the straw. But you're selling the straw. We're selling the straw, but we got turkey litter to put that nutrient. 
back in back in at a cheap cheaper rate than commercial fertilizer so, we could put we could put the nutrient back in the ground with turkey litter cheaper than what we can sell the straw for gotcha so it's still a profit situation so how is our area unique as far as the availability of turkey chicken um well manure? we got four best farms based out of jasper indiana you know they've got turkey barns all over southern indiana southeast illinois a little bit of northern kentucky so they're the fifth largest turkey producer in the nation you got purdue sitting here not purdue university but purdue meat so they've got chickens and turkeys in the area so we are very well blessed with uh well, poultry litter which is you very. get you get benefits out of the manure but a lot of people see that big pile out there a lot of that sawdust which, There's all, a lot of sawdust which also has benefits as well right yeah the sawdust will break down as uh, organic matter which is a nitrogen form also right. over time it just takes longer um, and then you guys apply liquid manure. We do apply the liquid hog manure out of our lagoon, but the only problem with liquid hog manure, you know, a semi-tanker of manure come over the hill, only 2% of that's nutrients, 98% of that's water. Water. So we keep that within three to four miles of the, the home place. So, yeah. Because it's just not feasible to haul water. You know, they're charging us four to five cents a gallon to to apply that so you start getting very far the farther you go the more more costs right and then as far as the um, uh, cow manure you guys don't we could try to keep it pretty close there too yeah. um if it comes down to it the cattle manure could be loaded on semis and truck just as feasible as uh anything else turkey litter could yeah gotcha what's the uh, well, we get too far off in the weeds here but i mean obviously there's a difference between turkey pig cow. Oh, yeah. oh yeah there's a, we uh every 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 year every twice a year you know we're pulling samples of this manure and sending off for nutrient reports so Let's see what you got your grow out turkey manure well your chicken laying houses i'm gonna say is probably the best manure there is your turkey grow outs is hot then i'm gonna say your hog manure comes in there pretty hot What's your, the nice your, part about the um, the turkey turkey and chicken houses is the feasibility to move it and a feasibility because you know uh, legally on twenty four ton on a semi we got to put that in there so we put three tons the acre and you know you're hauling eight acres yeah on a load well the other thing is is you can take it to the field and push it up in a pile we can dump it push it up the pile you can't do that with, we can't do that with any other manure no. besides hog manure or. Uh, cattle manure you know we can push but it's out, still but not as feasible yeah, as it ain't what, feasible it's it's a little you little. know hog manure they're hauling six thousand gallons on a tanker we're putting ten thousand gallons to an acre so they're not even an acre every semi tanker is like three quarters of an acre yeah not even three quarters of an acre five eighths of an acre see that ratio change yeah. quite quite a bit so yeah and it's hard to unload a million gallons of liquid hog manure in the corner and spread it later <laughs> you could i think you got a few agencies that ain't uh, uncle sam would be there pretty quick yeah, yeah. a few agencies that ain't gonna be yeah. real happy yeah. with you so and obviously there's rules and regulations on all yep. this stuff that 
uh, have to be followed. Yep, we got a Category 14 uh, license to handle that much manure. So we went to schooling and took some tests over it, and we're regulated. And we got to keep track of uh, how much manure we put on what ground. Which, with all the electronics you guys run nowadays, is yeah, with the electronic tracking or, or the technology and the iPads and yeah. auto steer and all that's pretty feasible. Uh, we got to have manure samples uh, ready at all times, and we got to have soil samples for that field every two years on file so we can uh, monitor the nutrient levels. What's going on? Make sure you don't overload, make so. sure we don't overload it. So, because I guess that has happened or you're, you're hearing it happening you know up around delaware you get the, some algae growing up there and now you're hearing it up around cleveland ohio um getting some algae growth so, some runoff so. well but in those two areas you just mentioned fields are probably becoming less and manure is becoming more. more so it's you know here we still have a really good ratio yeah, of we can move it manure yeah. manure manure is something that's sought after not something we need looking for a place to get, to get rid, rid of. of correct which in those areas it's kind of the yep the other other way around a little bit so well long story short obviously the whole point of whether you're selling grain or diversifying what you do on the farm is, is yep. just limiting risk so i guess i'll let you off the hot seat now and you can start drilling me oh <laughs> i mean is there obviously there's diversification in the construction or dirt work world anyways because you don't build ponds every dang day. No. Yeah, you know, it's... Um, or you can set yourself up for... You're set up for diversification anyway. Yeah, that's been one of the... Um, man, I don't know where to go with this. I got so many different roads yeah. to go down. Um, I've talked about this, I don't know how many times whenever it comes to my fleet of equipment. Uh -huh. um, and I'm just going to use installing tile for an example. Well, that was a new one you've just added here in the last couple of years. Yeah, but you, there is contractors out there, and all they do is install tile. Install tile. Um, and you can go out there. Let's just say I got a million dollars worth of equipment. Mm -hmm. I could go out there and spend a million dollars on equipment easily to install tile and make damn good money at it. Mm -hmm. The problem is you guys, the farmers... Have to flip the bill for it. ...have a bad year or they change a rule or regulation or a stipulation or a virus hits and the price of tile goes through the roof. Yeah. I'm sitting here twiddling my damn thumbs. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of where this tile plow comes into play. I didn't want to go out and invest $100,000 in something I'm going to use. Month and a half out of the year. Month and a half, two months out of the year. Whenever, you know, I can spend a third of that and have something that does just as good a job. And then I can take three pins out, and I got the same machine. I can go do other brush clearing, on that I work with dirt work. Um, and then you've also got the ripper attachment on there that you can right. start ripping rock with it. So, so my 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 diversification comes into me being universal, which I yeah. guess is a different way of saying it. But you know, I get on one of these big pond jobs, and everybody's like, "You need a bigger dozer. You need a bigger excavator. You need another haul truck. You need this." Well, you then you're that. getting specialized with one thing. Yeah, you're get, you're going you're you're backing yourself into a corner. Yeah, because I can sit here with my smaller equipment, and I'm air quoting this: my smaller equipment, maybe spend one day longer on a five day job, then I can haul that same equipment out and do a different job 
yeah. I couldn't even think about doing if I had bigger equipment on that job. Yeah. And spending one more day on that job don't mean I'm making less profit. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, yeah. I can still have the same profit margin because that bigger equipment costs more to run. More to run, exactly. Uh, so that's probably the, the big key to my diversification as far as the business goes is just not get 100% committed into pond building, 100% committed into tile, tile, 100% committed into subdivision work. You know, I've yeah. seen uh, in 2008, I've seen it firsthand, there was five or six contractors. All they did was subdivision work. Well, you get some contractors you see that's 100% committed to highway construction. Highway construction. And then Uncle the Sam's money dries up one time. The funding changes, or in 2008, the housing market crashed. Yep. And most of them went out of business. Yeah. They're, they're companies, sitting, huge companies, you think would be like... A lot of equipment sitting on a lot, not moving. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I always preach bigger is not always better, but that's, that's my big thing is if I can go out here and move 20,000 yards of dirt build a big ass lake mm -hmm. i can haul into tell city on a hundred by 40 lot and dig a damn basement nine nine hundred yard basement or, or something yeah. you know what i mean um and i can be very very efficient at both of them uh the other thing about being diversified is it's not with the types of jobs i do but it's in the equipment i own yeah um let's just say i spent a million dollars or a million dollars i'm just using it as a generic number but i spent a million dollars on three pieces of equipment or I can spend a million dollars on 15 pieces of equipment. Yeah. Uh, now they're be, not all going to be, be new. Quick. They're not all going to be shiny. They're not all going to be the prettiest thing you ever see in your life. But you guys that watch my videos, um, our breakdowns are, I mean, you've been working with me yeah. for five years. Yeah. We, we, we run, run very limited breakdowns. For yeah, sure. I mean, we do a lot of maintenance. We try to stay ahead of a lot of stuff, but I mean, shit happens. Stuff breaks yeah. down, but um, most of my most of my breakdowns have been on this newer stuff. Yeah, you know, our older equipment just because it's old don't mean it's not reliable. You know, a while ago I mentioned rock rippers on that thing to rip rock, but that last video that top plow was ripping rock pretty <laughs> yeah, good too, well, wasn't it? Yeah, well, until it broke. Well, until it broke. <laughs> yeah, but there again. Uh, you can vouch for this. The videos, of course, this will come out after that. Yeah. We ripped that thing completely in two. Yeah. Three days later, we were back playing back. Back together. Yeah. Now, you had a wheel bearing go out on your, on your header wagon. Header wagon. How long did it take you to get a new spindle? Two weeks. So. And uh, they had to make it. Yeah. They didn't even the dealership. Well, we had to make it too, but we yeah. did it right here. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I told Aaron when we ripped that thing in two. I said, the good news and the bad news is we're our own parts department. Yeah. You know what I mean? So. You know what that spindle ended up costing me? Oh, that's hard to tell. Eighty nine hundred dollars. That's you should you could just buy a new tile cart or a new uh Well that's what happened. I borrowed a header wagon. You said eighty nine dollars? Eighty nine hundred dollars. Oh, I see where you're going with this now. <laughs> <laughs> I'm following. I'm following you. Yeah. That one spindle got expensive. <laughs> you know what would prevent that? A safety pin. <laughs> Thirty cent clip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you want to discuss that little incident? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> no, we had the uh, a header wagon um, that was ours. The front tire decided to uh, leave the job site, going down the road. Rent the spindle, rent the hub. So we uh, had to order a spindle. 
took them two weeks to get it in. Well, I couldn't quit harvest for two weeks. So we called the dealership and asked them if they had a header wagon for us to borrow. They drug out a brand new four-wheel steer header wagon. Oh, that's nice. I'm, yeah, unfortunately, it kept uh, us moving. fairly durable, too. It's fairly durable. So we've been using it for two weeks. We're getting ready to take it back, and I'm uh, the head was not on it. Trucking down the county road <laughs> about 40 mile an hour, and I look in the mirror, and the, the wagon's not behind me no more. I put it reverse back up. I find the hitch pin laying in the road, but I don't find the wagon anywhere. This is a 40-foot-long wagon. This is a 40-foot-long header wagon, yeah. Brand spanking new. It is buried in the woods. Every tree it hits laying on top of it. I mean, it just clipped them off. And I called the dealership. I did not have the heart to return a borrowed wagon that looked like it's been through World War II. So I spent $8,500 on a new header wagon and bought that I really didn't need. <laughs> so that spindle was $400? Yeah. Damn. The spindle hub bearings and hubcap. Farming's expensive. Yes, it is. <laughs> and you guys don't have as good equipment. But, uh, yeah. I, you know, the other thing about, I guess, diversifying for me is, um, I guess it goes a little farther outside of the business, too. You know, I, I got other sources of income other than the business. Yeah. Obviously, one of them is social media. I do yeah. pretty good in that space. Um, I guess I own a decent little chunk of farm ground now. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then what ground is not farmed is still an asset that is woods and yeah, stuff and organic buildings on them. Um, do have some investments in stock market and stuff like that. So I hope it's not beyond me. <laughs> <laughs> No, but there's, uh, you know, you see all these guys that have one retirement plan. Everything's right there. And yeah. then they get to retirement time and Something they think happens. they're set. And then a month later, it's all gone, you know. Yep. And, um, I, I basically got three retirement plans. So hopefully two of the three are still yep. going by the time I get there. You know, what was that uh, 2019 stock market crash? Yep. You know how many people's retirement got delayed? Delayed train wrecked and yep. they were scared and you know if you was diversified even in retirement with some real estate or some other yeah. investments you know you you felt a little better secured i don't have as much liquid cash on hand as what i need to and my debt to income ratio mm -hmm. is stupid good so i'm not let's see we don't have no yeah on our farming operation we're we're cash poor yeah. But uh, we're pretty asset Well, rich, I think that's know. a big misconception with a lot of people. If you're self-employed, everybody assumes you're rich. Yeah. Which you might be rich in assets and resources, but yeah. very few people are rich in cash. Yep. You you get very careful not to rob Peter and pay Paul like Wade was talking about. But, uh, yeah. you know, when you got everything tied up in assets, you got to get pretty thrifty on on moving some stuff around to keep things flowing. Yeah, I mean, just because I got $5 million with assets don't yeah. mean I got... Fifty thousand dollars in a bank account. Yeah, to go you know do what, what you mean? need it's, to. Yeah. It's, I don't know. I think that I used to think for a while maybe it was just me that didn't have a whole lot of money sitting yeah. in an account, but it's not. Everybody. No, it's that, it's everybody. Everybody runs that way. They thinner than what they. I shouldn't say everybody. Yeah. But, um, and there's two different types of money. Yeah. Earned and inherited. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> that's a whole other podcast. There. It drives me nuts to watch those TikTok clips of uh, Dave Ramsey. And I was like, God, I'd, I'd be broke if I listened to him. I mean, you know, I just could not function like that, I guess. I don't know. I know the banks are making money off of me on interest, but 
Well, I know I'm, I'm investing the borrowed money and making good money. I think what aggravates me about Dave Ramsey is he tries to apply it to everything. Yeah. There are certain scenarios where what he says works. works. Yeah. But there's other scenarios. If I followed his advice, yeah. I'd be eating damn beans out of a Whirlpool box yeah. right now. Because... You know, one part of advice he gives that I've learned at a very young age, and I've never actually went back to it, but, you know, I ain't got a credit card in my name. I can't manage them. Yeah. I max them out. I can't pay the bill. I don't have one. I mean, it's, so I don't mess with credit cards, and that's one of his big theories, but. Yeah. I got, uh, I got one business card, one personal card, yeah. just for convenience factors. Yep. Um, now, Jenna, we had some issues there back yeah. today. She's. She's a lot better about that now, but you know, there, there's the old saying takes money to make money. Yes, Sometimes it does. you gotta borrow the money to make it. Yeah. And which borrow the money is a risk. Yes, it is. But I guess for the podcast, you diversify your risk and make your best choice possible. And at the interest rates right now, I'm, you kind of tippy toe around on borrowing money. Yeah. You borrow it when you need to, but yeah. No, I mean, our operations is completely diversified. I think we can. We're pretty flexible. We can move. We're willing to move. We're not. This is the way Dad and Grandpa done it for years. This is the way we got to right. do it. We're, well, you could also uh, read the, what next year is going to be. And like this year, you yeah, went heavy to white corn. We went heavy white corn because so. you kind of seen a um, a jump in it. A so. jump in it. And I can see your operation very diversified too. So you're I guess the one thing the one thing I would add in closing, and I've seen this be an issue as well. You can't get yourself spread too thin. Yeah. You get, whenever you diversify like I, you and I both do, I think you sacrifice knowing that something's going to suffer. Well, you can't do it everything 100%. And that's what I said, you know, when I was in the row crops. You know, with us doing so many crops, yeah, I don't, you know, I probably ain't raising state fair corn every year. Yeah. But, but you got to... You can go right up to that line, just don't step over it. Yeah. And I think that's what you're trying to say. You know what yeah. I mean? Because you see some guys and... and Oh, uh, they're running wild, chasing their tail. Oh, yeah. Them, so. And I and, I mean, I was in that position five or six years ago. Yeah. Uh, just, you know, we had the excavating business, construction business, rental houses, this yeah. and that. And then I'm like... Can't keep up. You're just them. running in a circle and robbing Peter to pay Paul the whole time around. Yeah. And, and that's bad diversification at that point. And obviously, if you have a niche and you're good at it, you need to stick with it and ride the horse as long as you can. One part of the <coughs> diversification that I try to keep in that people think gets in my way, but I, I can try to work around it, it's the community service part. Yeah. You know, it's not a, an income no. that pays, but it's an income that I think pays off in a different way. So. Yeah. Uh, we got a whole podcast about this back on yeah, the channel. So. We're going to do another podcast about this in the future, but... Um, you and I both are involved in a lot of things yeah. in a lot of different places and we cross over and cross some stuff over. but yep. there's no immediate financial gain from any of that correct and some of you I mean there's all of you don't want the financial gain no not that's, that's not what we do yeah. that's not what we do any of it but yeah. the uh, quality of life of the community the quality of life of your kids and their future yeah. I mean I look at some of the stuff we did here in Derby oh yeah you know this th through uh, the leadership of about four or five people, we completely changed this town in the last mm -hmm. 10 years. I mean, oh, completely yeah. changed it. 
it's almost went from a place nobody wanted to visit to the most sought after place to live in the county. You know, the biggest thing in Derby for years was the, the tavern and deer hunting. Yeah. You know, now look at the, the homes and the, uh, oh, there's, uh, the river camps and the, res the rentals. A, and um, Yeah, the, the huge rental market, the community center, the boat ramp. We got two stores, the tavern, yeah. the boat storage. Uh, I just had a lengthy conversation with your best friend about this the other day at the property value increase. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, sometimes I got to figure out which best friend I've got. So. You know which <laughs> yeah. one this one is. Yeah. So, but. But no, you know, you know, if you're diversified, just make sure you're doing them all at the best of the abilities. Give them all your best time. I mean, you're diversified, can do each one you know you're building a pond today or you're building right, this right i'm diversified i've got hogs cattle row yeah, crops it's all, all at the same time we're yeah. doing the same day but you know i do the hogs john feeds the hay dad feeds the grain we're you know i run the combine we're, we've all got our own job system you know we're, we've got it figured out so we can that should be a whole new whole other podcast working with family Oh boy, that's might be two of them by the time we get done should with we get, them. Should we get your dad in on that one? You know, I thought about getting dad on here, even with the man behind the scenes, but oh I don't know how that would go either. So. If we got your dad and my mom, oh boy, we, I don't think we'd stand a chance. Yeah, they'd <laughs> us up, wouldn't they? <laughs> we'd be in trouble. Oh my yeah. goodness! All right, well, Farmer Chris, hopefully we got our point across there. Yep, I mean. Uh, don't just put your eggs all in one basket. No, I mean, it's a, it's a double sword. Don't put them all in one basket. Don't get in over your head. And just yeah. pay attention to what the hell you're doing. Yep, watch that's some the, details. That's the main thing. So, well, I have no idea what's up next. After I this don't week. either. Yep. Hopefully we'll, have, uh, hopefully we'll be back to having a guest. We'll get a guest yeah. back in, switch things up a little bit yeah, here. Yeah, a few in mind. So, hopefully you guys avoid the chat. Enjoy the chat. You guys got a topic you want us to uh, cover, Come down, comment down below. And I like think we can sit here and bullshit an hour about just about anything. And like you said, if uh, time this one releases, it's probably going to be happy holidays for them. Yeah. yeah, hopefully everybody had a good good holidays, and I'll be heading to Florida at some point. Yep. So, all right, thanks for listening, guys. We'll catch you on the next one. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.